Charlie, welcome to the podcast. I'm pumped for this. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, man. This is uh, this is gonna be fun. I'm 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 looking forward to it, man. This is uh, something that's a long time coming. Glad we're getting a chance to do it. Absolutely. We have uh, my friend Mac being a celeb co-host here. Max a media buyer for lots of brands that can let Matt intro himself uh, when he starts talking here in a second. But Charlie, we'll start with you. Uh, just give people listening to this who maybe aren't familiar with you a little bit of background, kind of the things you've done and what you're currently really focused on. Yeah, so I my background when it comes to paid media and Facebook ads, I've been running ads on Facebook for about a decade now. When I got started, Facebook Pixel didn't exist. It was page likes, video views, offer ads, stuff like that. And so I've been there through the evolution of the entire platform. You know, a decade ago, I was spending a million dollars a day for brands like CBS and managing Nissan, working with Activision and Apple as West Coast Supervisor of Operations at, at Omnicom for Resolution Media. And as a result, I was able to be a part of when Facebook was coming up. When I got started, Facebook was the ugly redheaded stepchild of the crew. Everybody was running Yahoo ads. And the idea that you'd want to use Facebook to promote anything was crazy. And so it was a great opportunity to have both giant daily budgets, seven figures, and no real playbook. Plus no real interest from the majority of the establishment to really lean into what was going on because everything else was clearly gonna last forever. So when the Facebook rep would come to the office, because there was one rep for basically everybody west of Chicago, they would always come with different tools, different tests, different products. And I got to basically write all of the case studies and spend a lot of the money and be the alpha launch on a lot of products that have since been integrated into the platform. And so I got a very intimate understanding of how the system works because I helped build that system from lead gen ads. I was in the first batch of lead gen ads. That was the 2014, I think, Nissan Sentra. The bright idea at the time was like, what if we use this weird thing on Facebook where somebody can select to give you the information to use tier one budgets of Nissan, their national budget, to get personal information at the tier three level or the local dealership level for folks that are interested in giving a test drive for this car and cost us about 50 bucks to get a lead. One out of two leads went in, test drove a car and bought it. So it costs us about $100 to sell a $25,000 vehicle, which is uh, 250X ROAS, which tells you how absolute nonsense ROAS is. And since then I've been part of the development of the product from dynamic ads, the actual conversion pixel, when that came in, which I think everybody was worried about iOS 14 or all of these other changes, they're, they're nothing. I remember entire floors of ad agencies went out of business because they still tried to run Facebook like a PPC platform once the conversion objective came in. And we still, to this day, see people fighting the wind and it's costing a lot of folks the stability and confidence and upside in their business that I think they deserve. And so it's, I've been a part of developing the lead gen, DPA ads, dynamic ads, broad targeting, CBO, all of those products at the scale of dozens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars of investment per product. And as a result, gotten a lot of experience, been on brand side, agency side, client side. And a lot of what I do now is my primary business, my pet project. The thing that I do a lot now is I've built Disruptor School where I'm basically teaching people how that works and also bringing in the experts uh, from around the world on a bunch of other ancillary skills like Google and UGC and copywriting, creative, landing page design, all those other skills so that it becomes accessible for operators to not need to hire out for talent 
when all they really need is one or two pieces of execution. And if they truly want to be completely self-sufficient and never need to hire agencies again, or if they're an agency that wants to scale their workload or scale their clients without scaling their workload, there's standard operating procedures for that. Like how do I manage several million dollars a week and spend on an hour or two time spent in the platform and regularly five to 10 X brands on an annual basis every year? I teach people all of that stuff because at the core of it, what I teach, what people understand that they're supposed to do has almost nothing to do with business success. Almost all of it has to do with the success for service providers. And I would argue, and I know a lot of folks in the space would maybe agree that an ad agency's business model is antithetical to the success of their client's business. And it's very hard to become aligned. So when you see people that running ad agencies being the most experienced folks in the room because they're the ones spending the most money, that checks out. The problem is what they've been learning how to do is not get fired. What they're not learning how to do is stabilize the front end of the business where they're not worried about self-preservation because growing the bank account is more important than the profit margin per dollar spent. And I am a growth profit volume standard operating procedure systems and processes guy. And if you look at it like that, most of the things that most people say you should do break down pretty quickly if ultimately growing your business is the number one objective. And so that's what I'm here to do. And it's been a lot of fun doing it. And yeah, I've got folks around the world been helping people for a better part of a decade now, figuring all that stuff out. Really appreciate the thorough intro there. And there's a ton of, I mean, we could just dive into topics from there and I could throw my whole outline out and we wouldn't run out of things to talk about for the next hour, <laughs> which is kind of how I like conversations to start. I think one thing that really stood out to me when listening to your content, and right, I'm not a media buyer. I don't think I spent more than like 20K on ads in my life, which is, you know, not zero, but certainly doesn't make me a media buyer. And I just think that you're really willing to confidently share a lot of what our contrarian takes and go against what a lot of people are saying. And that's what makes a lot of your content so interesting and compelling because I'm like, this is the opposite of one, what I would think intuitively and what I've been told from other people who, you know, have gotten good results when you quantify good results as kind of like judging them purely on the performance of ads and like the, the numbers that you see inside the Facebook ads dashboard being looking like a profitable use of capital versus kind of what you're talking about now, which is really trying to think like a principal and think like the business owner and not just kind of hack this one little piece of it to make yourself look good. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. And I would, I, I've always come to the table thinking that my number one objective is to use the scientific method, use tools the way they're designed, build businesses based off of, you know, centuries old practices. And it's funny you say that the like all these contrarian things and in my head 90 percent of what people say are completely contrarian yeah. and when you say it's like it's not as intuitive it's not the way you would think about it that's one of my focuses is to get you to start thinking about things in a way where it's simply we if you understand how the tools work then you can appreciate what's going on at a higher level and then all of the things you're supposed to do quote unquote don't make any sense it's a paradigm um, right it's, it's about the paradigm because it's Intuition yeah. based on Facebook advertising, to my understanding, which is largely informed by your understanding, is a new paradigm of things that just weren't possible in a traditional model, right? In a, like Facebook was the first tool where the strategies that you really advocate for were at all even conceivably possible. So someone stuck in that, you know, paradigm of this isn't being possible, like, in, I'm going to really butcher your strategy, but to some extent, it's basically just like, put up an ad, 
And then Facebook is just good at making your ads perform. It's like the simplest version of it. It's like they know more than you do, so let them demonstrate the fact that they know more than you do, which was just a completely naive way to think if you don't have like, people just don't conceptualize. Like I think a lot about the movie, The Social Network or the uh, documentary, The Social Network. And yeah. kind of the conclusion from that is like, if you think that you're going to be able to like be, whether it's more willpower, like just as a user of the platform, just like you're going to be able to beat the platform, you don't realize because it's just like a four inch device in your hand that it's actually representing a thousand of like the most bright minds in the world trying to like get you stuck to the device. And what people don't realize yeah. in that movie is like they kind of portray the advertisers as like the evil people profiting from that. But it's like when you are the advertiser and like that is the role that you're in, all of that fancy technology is yours to use if only like you realize that it's yours to use. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's one of those things where we can ridicule the maker of the tool for the, how people use it. But when used properly, who's to say it can't do good? Like at the end of the day, I think people wildly underestimate the power of the machine. And they also don't understand the unit economics of attention. And when they start to look at outsmarting the machine to overcome depreciating investments, it, like things just start to break down really quickly. And a lot of what I try to teach in Disruptor School and in the Facebook Ads MBA program is how to think about becoming the best business partner and how to meet your business partner's objectives in ways that assist your bank account and mm -hmm. how to look at an intent creation device as a way of amplifying your business model which unfortunately, as you put it, is a contrarian view. I would say also my results tend to be fairly contrarian as well. So put that for what it's worth. That's the mic drop 10 minutes in. I think that <laughs> a lot of this as well, and then I'll, I'll have Mac jump in, introduce himself and maybe rip a question or two. I think a lot about kind of my experience with Bitcoin as kind of a, a similar analogy here. A lot of this is just, you have to have a prepared mind to grasp, to like grasp certain concepts. It's like, why was I such like very quickly and why are so many kind of engineers and computer scientists like these early whales into Bitcoin because in whales, meaning people who like bought a lot of it and have large positions because the things that are just like outrageous about it are, are just things that like genuinely like shatter the minds of people who aren't prepared in that mindset of like how they don't believe that the currency could ever be, you know, ruled by rules, but not by rulers like that an algorithm could determine all the stuff and pr provide all the safety. And basically if you don't have some base level mental models around like what machine learning is capable of and what AI is capable of doing, then you're just never going to accept like letting go of control and like actually accepting that that's trust like better than you. Whereas for me, I have such, like a background in analytics and AI and all these things. So I'm just like, the second you say that I'm like, oh yeah, I mean, Facebook has more data than I have. You know, I've spent, I've like looked at one campaign. Facebook has looked at every single campaign ever for the past decade and trillions of dollars in spends. Maybe they've derived rules better than I have derived heuristics from my like two businesses I've worked for, but people just aren't sure. going to grasp that if they don't have that pre like those existing mental models to, to hang it on. Yeah. I love it. And I think that's very much an accurate statement. And I think the other side of where people struggle with Facebook is the major is the etymology of the knowledge. So when Facebook first came around, it was a dumb version of Google display distribution was random. We had to use audiences to focus that in. In 2018, Facebook made a fundamental change to the current the current way that it operates. And it hasn't had any significant change since 2018, where it prioritized the end user experience and you had this very qualitative economy for 
econometrician nerds out there. It's a game theory economy based on the currency of attention. And basically what happened there is most of the people that were good in 2016, 2017 are now people in positions of leadership. They learned how it operated with a PPC and inventory and demand-based native and email and search mentality. And the problem is they got so far away from execution by the time the system changed, their level of seniority took them out of the ability to understand and appreciate that change. And so now we have five years later, the majority of the folks in thought space leadership have been around for three, four, five, six years. And they all either themselves learned before the seismic shift of uh, the only significant change in the algorithm, one of two significant changes in the last 10 years, 2018, and then also the invention of the uh, conversion pixel. As a result, they either had it, the expertise themselves, or they learned from somebody whose expertise was there. So we have a severe gap in understanding, but at the thought leadership level. And that trickles down to a tremendous influx of very bad information being given to folks that are trying to make things work. And I think that is the root of most of people's frustration, is they're basically learning from a plumber how to hammer a nail in the wall, because at some point it was all just one tool. And now it's not. And we have to get better at understanding how things evolve. Yeah, man, that makes sense. I've been jumping, I've kind of been like a silent person in here, but yeah, Charlie, I'm in your MBA program and that's, uh, and by the way, the MBA programs, like I've bought a ton of courses and stuff and that's by far the best, not even like media buying, just overall business, like becoming a CMO really and learning where to allocate budgets, the ideal media mix of your entire marketing channel. That's something that a lot of other um, media buying trainings and a lot of other media buyers and even like execs and stakeholders, as you mentioned, don't really um, understand a whole lot. And especially, yeah, like I said, it, they've been running ads in 2018 and then in a lead leadership position and they're not in the weeds themselves. That's where I think on one of our first conversations the other week on our one-on-one, -on -one, I asked you about managing the client expectations when they asked for what's the single best ad in the account mm -hmm. all, what's the best audience and all that stuff and yeah so it's kind of like a yeah people they're still asking for certain things where like maybe in 2018 you could want to get granular and try to like hack it and this audience and the ppc methods like you're saying about so i totally get what you're saying when it comes from like the learning discrepancy and the outdated methods that now people in leadership are trying to like you know get other people to follow or ask for reports on certain things but in reality like that's the whole thing you know of itself is like doing the media buying but then if you have stakeholders involved or you're doing client work or anything else it's like a whole nother like strategy involved and like educating them on the current best practices and stuff like that. So yeah, I agree with what you're saying. I love it. And I love that you're seeing that. And I think when I built the Facebook ads MBA program, my intention wasn't just to make the best media buyers. It came from, I was training in-house teams at nine figure and eight figure companies, as well as ad agencies. And the etymology of it is how do you make it? So the internal team is stronger than an outsourced resource. And how do you make it so that the job of the business model amplification device, which is Facebook, is best aligned with the business needs of what you're asking to amplify? And the point behind all of that is you can learn how to be a good media buyer with all the buttons on. But if you legitimately think things like audiences and cost caps and big caps and Advantage Plus have anything to do with cash flow, and that's the decision you're going to make to improve your business, you've already lost. And 
the other beautiful thing is when you learn how to do it in one instance, and in the MBA program, we teach it Facebook first, but there's plenty of stuff. And like, okay, now you know what to do with Pinterest and with TikTok and with Google and with television and out of home and directly. It doesn't matter what the thing is because now you understand how all marketing works. And it's just talk through that specific lens. But I love how you said that it's CMO development because I think you could legitimately, anybody that goes to the MBA program earnestly could step in and be a CMO of any seven, six, seven, eight figure business with a fair amount of comfortability and knowledge. And if you're not ready for that, it's just a matter of overall experience that's preventing you from getting there. But, you know, I, I talked to, I had a conversation with this guy yesterday. He's 20. Two years ago, he was in his parents, he was in his childhood bedroom at his parents' house. He joined the NBA. He got a job working for Dave Fogarty and some other folks out of Australia. Now he's working with 40, 50 year old investment bankers and property share equity guys and just running all of their marketing as like a fractional CMO. And he walks into the room and the number that matters isn't his age anymore. It's the bank account impacts of his decision-making and zero people are questioning his legitimacy of being in that room. And that for me is everything. Yeah, man. No, that's a great point. Yeah, yeah, because that's one thing you told me is like, use the results and then you basically use the results of your work and then introduce your own language and like how you should think about it first rather than trying to like show stakeholders try to teach them first this like let your results speak for themselves and then i think that gives you more credibility like the 20 year old kid to just walk into a room and be able to control the conversation because the results are there you know? yeah i think I mean... one, one of the big one of the biggest shifts in the mba program was or i guess in general in all your con content is when you say do you want to make facebook look good or do you want to make the business look good as a whole and that's like a huge yeah. shift in thinking that even a lot of other media buyers i talk to still don't understand that how like yeah the customer journey isn't like single touch it's multi-channel and attributing things to an, one single channel doesn't even really make sense and so like yeah i guess it goes back to the cmo development how is your investment in every single channel impacting the entire bottom line yeah i, I love that because here's the thing but you can either make facebook look good or you can make the rest of the business look good and the reason i say that is facebook ultimately serves as a top of funnel effort you can use it full funnel we can talk about exclusions or all of that other stuff but facebook's primary unfair advantage in the marketplace as a tool is in the creation of intent and the amplification of that intent what you are doing is telling more people your business exists that allows the more effective channels like search and crm and organic and all of these other things that are far more profitable far more stable to have a larger opportunity. So when you prioritize efficiency on Facebook, like I'm gonna do retargeting and cost caps, and I'm only gonna go after the best customers, and what you end up doing is you end up paying a higher CPM, so your in cost of inventory is higher. Your frequency is higher, because you're retargeting people more often. Your daily frequency might be like a 1.4, 1.5, a 2, something like that, instead of a 1.1. And what that means is you're making Facebook look better on paper in a way that starves the funnel for the rest of your business model. And the way I like to explain this is to folks is, would you rather Facebook go from a 1.5 to a 2X ROAS or whatever, or would you rather go dollar for dollar, but triple the volume of your search and your email and the revenue you wake up with in the bank account every morning? One of those things is gonna make Facebook look good. The other one is gonna help you build an empire. Mm -hmm. And you have to be thinking about 
sales as not a transaction that you're making a profit on. You have to think about marketing as the acquisition of attention that you monetize into profitable customer journey. I see so many people making the mistake of saying that, well, I don't want to pay to acquire a customer twice. And so they'll make exclusions on Facebook and all over the place. And I think that goes down to that same fundamental misunderstanding that like, just because somebody buys from me once, that doesn't mean they're a customer. As a matter of fact, majority of the people that buy from me once never buy again. So the idea of looking at your profit and loss, your success as a marketer is how effective can I be at making my least efficient channel more efficient at the expense of volume to my more efficient channel and ignore future cash flow and LTV in favor of day one performance. Like when you say it out loud, the idea of worrying about day one profitability where you make Facebook ads get, look as good as possible makes no sense. And it will starve the growth of a business until you have no more cash flow and you have to rely on it. And by that point, you've already lost. Can you explain why you've already lost at that point? Yeah, so I'll give it for instance with a uh, alcohol delivery company I was working with a couple of years ago. They're a part of a holding company and they had a Facebook rep moonlighting running their ads and they wanted to push for a three X ROAS on every dollar. They're like, I need to make three X profit on Facebook as much as possible. And they were able to get to three, four, 500 bucks a day at that ROAS level. When we flipped that around and said the objective, the definition of success is not a 3X ROAS on day one, but the acquisition of future cash flow at a profit, we can understand how much profit are you going to make per customer? And then the way you scale your profits and your cash flows to acquire more customer. What we ended up doing was saying definition of success wasn't getting a 3X ROAS on day one, it was acquiring customers where we made a net $60 profit on each customer. Within six months, they went from $300 a day to $5,000 a day in ad spend and six figures in profit monthly to the point where they had to go get another round of funding three months early. And what happened was the owner of that company, the founder, went out to go get more funding, brought that Facebook rep guy back in who took a look at everything that we were doing, turned it all back around and said, no, we need profits. They, he spiked it back up. So he got three X row ads every day. That ad spend was back down to $600 within two months. They never got that round of funding because when you show an investor that you had massive success and then your cash flow dies, your customer acquisition costs drop, but you have no future cash flow, you lost all ability for people to invest in the growth of your business and they're no longer in business anymore. They went from being on a eight-figure business trajectory to prioritizing Facebook ads and going out of business. That happens constantly. And if you, I always tell people this, they say, well, you need to be profitable on day one. You need day one profitability to Facebook ads. Sure, up to a certain point. And they say, well, I can't wait on LTV. I don't have the cash flow for it. My response is, well, how long does it take for the average customer to buy a second time? Let's say it's 90 days. Okay, 10% of people buy again on day 90 on average. Awesome. So you need to break even for 90 days. And then on day 90, you make 10% profit for every dollar you spend because you wake up with those people buying it. Well, if you reinvest some of that 10% profit into the growth of your business, now you can tap into fractional banking and you're always setting it up so that you're able to invest more than you than you previously have. I like to use the analogy of like planting corn. If you put three seeds of corn in the ground in 90 days, you're gonna have like four pounds of fruit. If you decide to save six kernels out of that four pounds, 
in 90 days, you're gonna have you know, eight to 12 pounds of fruit. If you do that over and over and over again, eventually you're gonna have one person whose job is to like keep the wolves and the bunnies and the deer off of eating your fruit, going out and watering it twice a day, and you can feed thousands. That's the basis of how all of societies were built. That's what took people from living in caves as hunters to farming and building empire. Working off of day one profitability, a ROAS model, an MER model, a contribution margin model, is being a hunter. The problem is with being a hunter, if you have bad luck or you break your leg or it gets cold outside or anything happens to your ability to kill more to calories today than it took you to get there. You're dead. But a lazy person can be a farmer and feed thousands. And I would much rather tap into fractional banking than live or die by my ability to avoid getting any streak of bad luck, no matter how good I am. And that's sort of, I think, my way of trying to explain why if you need day one profitability, you've already lost because you're thinking about it in the wrong way. And it's just a matter of time until you fail. Unless your business is so good that you can be unsuccessful in your marketing. And that's fine. There are plenty of business models that are successful where they grow in spite of bad media buying. And I know a lot of really well-renowned media buyers and agencies whose number one skill was attaching themselves to brands that were successful in spite of having them on board. And my reaction to that, my response to those folks would say, hey, look, I doubled my business last year. You're crazy. As I explained to them the concept of fractional banking, I'm like, great, you doubled. In that same time, I 10x'd. You went from five million to 10, awesome. In that same time, I went from 50K a month to a million a week. Like. Your definition of success is what's holding you back. And honestly, that's holding the client back is you. And people take that as a personal attack. And I understand that and I've gotten a lot of pushback, but my point is we can tap into knowledge about economics and banking and business management that goes back centuries. And instead of prioritizing our ego, we can prioritize the result. And I don't care if I'm seen as the most impactful person in the room. I think my job as a Facebook marketer is to make everybody else in the room more and more successful because ultimately that means I'm never gonna get fired. We're gonna all make way more money. I'm the volume knob on the business, not the cash register. And once you remove yourself from that reliance on your self-worth being attached to how much credit for everybody else's success you can take, you're going to be far more successful. I think that's all fascinating. I think it comes down to just a couple of like fundamental splits, right? Are you thinking short-term or are you thinking long-term? And are you looking at just a tiny subsection of the business, right? Or are you looking at the business as a holistic system and understanding how you can make the entire ecosystem more more lucrative. I think, you know, you brought up a farming analogy. It's very much just like people trying to maximize crop yield one year when they're destroying the soil. It's kind of like the, the same thing. And sure. it's just how much you care, how much, you know, it's the principal ancient problem. Are you actually thinking as a principal of the business or are you just thinking about maximizing short-term outcomes for yourself? And unfortunately, right, we're just, the world's a big enough place and there's enough businesses that, like you said, have fundamentals so good that people can think that that's the way to do things. And it looks good because you were able to double and sure that is great. I mean, good job. And they don't even realize that there's the other things possible. And it's not, a, it's not a bad outcome. It's a suboptimal outcome, but it's still not a bad outcome. So, so many people are just like, this is good. Better is unnecessary. I like what I know it's working. And they're just never going to like shift out of that. 
which is like, yeah, turns out just their loss. Yeah. And the way I like to explain like how dramatically different results can be is just using a little bit of compounding math. And, and don't worry, I've already done the math, so you don't have to. If you can increase your budget by 5% three times a week, you'll double your budget every month. So if you're spending 500 bucks a month in January, it could, or 500 a day in January, it could be a thousand a day in February. It could be 2,000 a day by March. It'll be 4,000 by April. By the summer, you could be spending five figures a day. If your focus is to 3X your business at $500 a day on day one profitability, I'll destroy you. And the more important thing is fractional banking, tapping into the machine learning is one-tenth of the amount of work. So most people are working far too hard to ensure the level of success that they could achieve doesn't happen. And that's the part that really hurts me when I see people struggling and they tell me things like, well, I'm launching new ads every single week. I'm like, why? And like, we're launching new audiences and doing testing. My response is why? Or they say we're running seven different ads or seven different products with cost cap ads and Facebook. And we're just chasing and we're throwing the money behind the things with the best contribution margin and ROAS. And my response is why? Your number one objective with Facebook ads, if you're trying to grow your business, should be, can I increase my budget? 2% a day will double you in a month. Do you have the margin between the allowable cost per acquisition of a profitable customer journey or the acquisition of a transaction within any customer journey? If you make a unit value on the cost of the transaction, a blended CPA as a target, which we use PSM to measure that, if you are more efficient, if your CPA is below that target, you can spend more money. Your entire job becomes, I can afford to spend $50 to get a transaction. Right now, it's at a 45. I can increase my budget. The only thing stopping you from tapping into fractional growth is, can I increase my budget? The answer being no. So all you need to do is keep a simple machine, a machine simple enough that you can identify what's gonna get in the way of you saying yes a week from now and fix that problem before it happens. As long as you can say yes over and over and over again, your worst day three months from now will be far better than the day that if you had set the entire thing on fire to capitalize on some sale. And I don't think people understand the order of magnitude of the difference there. With 310 Nutrition, we went from 15 million to 95 million in 18 months, uh, in 20 months. It, uh, in my life, I went from 5,000 or 3,000 a day to $60 cost per registration for a customer for the SaaS product to 50,000 a day at like a 12. It took nine months. At Under Outfit, we were doing 50K a month. We did more money in the month of January at a higher AOV with a larger profit margin on dollars spent and overall net profit than we did in the entire year of 2021. We did 4 million in the month of January 2021, we did less than 3.5. And these are things that can be done in a couple hours a week. And I just think that people don't understand the order of magnitude of the change when you stop fighting the machine and you start using it in the way that the software engineer department designed it to be used. The amount of confidence you can have in your results, the projectability of your outcome, the happiness that joy you'll have in your life, and the opportunities that you can make for your family and for your employees and for your community, while also making people's experience on the platforms more desirable 
So they're having a better time on the platform. And ultimately, you know, allowing people to improve their lives by interacting with you. Where I come from, that's a win, 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 win. I think so. And the folks that say you should worry about ROAS or contribution margin or cost caps or Vantage Plus are directly oppositionally aligned against that end. And that part bothers me at a very root level because all of those things get in the way of that sustainability and growth. Charlie, I have two questions in terms of just clarifying terms for both myself and people listening. Uh, sure. A little, and some people who you know aren't in marketing probably know even even less and might be a little confused. So two things to clear up, and then I want to ask about the opportunity specifically, like how you take action on this opportunity as someone willing to be open minded and kind of shed the paradigms that don't apply based on what's now possible. So one is a definition of fractional banking, just like defining what that is. So for someone who might be lost, sure. that, which is myself right now, and then so fractional banking oh, yeah, basically okay. means. Yeah, let's start there. So fractional bank, when I'm talking, you can access, you can scale your ad accounts relying on the concept of fractional banking. And what that means is if I am coming in, if I'm acquiring transactions at 10% more efficient than I need to, my goal is a 50, I'm coming in at a 45. I can add 2% to my budget. I can do that 10, 15, 20 times before my overall cost per the acquisition of a transaction reaches the point where I'm no longer profitable. But that means that it's 2% more plus 2% more plus 2% more. That is not a linear path. That is an exponential curve. And so you can access that type of exponential growth by merely just saying, am I efficient enough to add budget? And doing that in a programmatic way is how we can tap into fractional banking to scale our businesses. And like banks historically, like in the United States, the way they do that is if they have $1,000, they can loan you $100, but they can loan, as long as they're able to secure 10% of the loan, they can loan it out to anybody. So they only need to secure, I think, 10%. So if I have 1,000 in the bank, I could make 10 $1,000 loans and make an interest on every one of them, even though that money's not necessarily completely realized. So for you, the way you think about that is, if I have cash flow coming in because I've had previous customer journeys where those people are making purchases, like we talked about before, where on day 90, people are buying again. If I take a little bit of the profit of those people coming back on day 90 and buying again, a little bit of that revenue, and I use it to amplify my daily budget. I can do that basically every single day because also my cost, it's not a complete loss. Like if I increase my budget by 2% and I get lose a quarter percent of efficiency, I can probably do that 20, 30 times before I ever have to legitimately worry about my efficiency getting to the point where I'm losing money. And if I ever am, I can probably just stop increasing it for a couple of days and the machine learning will catch up and get me back to that level of efficiency that I want. So that's what we're really talking about here is not just looking at the day one profitability, but looking at the cash flow of the business as a pool with which to invest in the further growth of the business in a way where we can do it with a small fraction repeated over and over and over again to make that sloped exponential curve. Does that make sense? It makes sense. I think another reframe here that's important, and I was just looking at Scott Adams' new book, Reframe Your Brain. I saw that today. I was reading about that. 
I think that, you know, you're extremely deep in this stuff. I'm, I'm somewhat deep in it. And I think a reframe that some people are going to be listening to this is why is spending more money a good thing? So that was my second question, right? I think that might sure. be, some people might hear that and think immediately that, why would I want to spend more money? I don't want to spend more money. Maybe like, I think that's yeah. a beginner thing that a, a media buyer would understand, but someone who's totally outside of this is like, why is spending more money every single day a good goal? Got it. I love it. And to be fair, not everybody can. So I want to preface with that. And if you can't spend more money every day, the number one objective I have to solve in my business is why. And generally that means you don't have the cash flow, you don't have the finances, you don't have the business operation to be able to afford to. Okay, fix that. Then start running Facebook ads. What I would say when it comes to why is spending more money a good thing? I had a conversation with a, I had a one-on-one -on -one consulting call with an, a lead gen affiliate agency this morning. And they said, well, we can always get more efficient. So we talked to the example of if a cost per lead target is 20 bucks and you're coming in at 18, I'd argue you could spend 2% more. And they say, yeah, but wait, what if we get it down to a 15? And what I told them was this, it's infinitely more possible to double your output by maintaining an $18 CPA when your target is 20, by doubling your spend, then it is for you to get that $18 CPA down to nine and a half. It's infinitely more possible to maintain the cost of operations at a higher volume than it is to make operations more efficient. And it's also far more sustainable. And what's important here is that you're also in that, in the way of what we're talking about, you're also improving the volume of what happens to everything else. That's another so new, compounding, right? Is, is there's, yeah. there's more data, so it's- Yeah, there's more data sense. to the ads, but there's also more search volume. There's also more direct traffic. There's, there's also more, more email revenue. Business. Because there's just more- Right, so you're, business. you're raising every marketing channel of the business, every revenue acquisition of the device in the business raises. That doesn't happen if you lower your CPA by half. You lower your CPA by half, you just make Facebook more profitable. You maintain the same CPA, but double your spend, you've amplified every other department of the company's ability to make money, which generally is a far more effective way of making money because let's be fair, Facebook is probably one of, if not the least efficient, generally used advertising platforms. If you can break even on Facebook, you're doing great. As long as you can 10X your money on Google and you know infinitely scale on email, then why not spend as much money as possible if you can break even? Yeah, I think a simpler way of framing it, not simpler, and I'd say it's a simplification rather than a simpler way of framing it would actually be a more appropriate way to describe this. But it's like, would you rather have, let's say a $9 CPA on, you said it's like a $20 product or the, the value of a lead's worth $20 and you can only get a thousand customers on that. So you're making 11 grand or would you rather have an $18 CPA for a $20 thing? So $2 a margin there but you're able to service 2 million people, right? It's like, okay. Sure. Plus again, all the ancillary benefits of now you've also grown your email list and now also 2 million people just know of you as the business for that thing. And you're gonna get, like you said, every other channels now immediately activated and inflated and not like yeah. inflated, but like amplified. So that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, do you wanna get a 3X return on a hundred bucks or a one X or like a, a nickel on a million? Like exactly, it, it's just a volume game unless you're a niche thing. And if you're a niche thing, odds are there's probably more effective channels for you to be marketing on. Like, and I'm not saying that you can't scale a niche business. I'm saying niche as in 
you can't handle volume. Like if you're selling one-off sports cars for $100,000 or a million dollars a piece and you can only make three a year, don't run Facebook ads. Like that's not the path. So you have to understand that it's also like the way, you have to make sure they're using the right tool for the job. Does that make sense? Yes. And if it's ultimately if a volume- customers, then the volume's, the volume's not a benefit. Yeah. And if volume of customers is not the thing holding you back, then Facebook is a great way to reach that volume and then ultimately work on your omni-channel marketing efforts and your business operations to either improve the LTV of those customers or to expand the volume of, of work that you can do, the amount of customers you can handle. And that goes back to that question before of, why is spending more money a good thing? Well, if you can't afford to spend more money, fix that problem. And now you're, as a business owner, Facebook is, you don't care about audiences. You don't care about cost caps and hacks and Advantage Plus or any of this nonsense. You want it to be as stable as possible so that you know what's gonna happen with that customer journey after the fact. Because every time you use cost caps or change audiences or test new ads, you're also running completely different types of people through your business. So that means that your landing page testing is completely useless because now you have different types of people. It means your search is not gonna be as effective because you've optimized it for a different type of attention. It means that your email flows are gonna look a little bit different because now you're speaking to different individuals. And because you're speaking to different individuals who behave differently, do you think your LTV projections are gonna be accurate? Probably not. Maybe they're better, maybe they're worse. But if you know you have something that works and your objective is to make more money, why not just amplify your profit volume generation device until you reach some law of diminishing returns and then fix whatever that problem is when you reach it. It's about solving the most important problem first. And generally speaking, most people try to solve completely insignificant problems over and over again, and that's what's holding them back. Yeah, I think that shift in thinking alone completely destroys the cost cap argument. And I guess as like a media buyer going through your program and actually like understanding that and how it affects one channel affects omni channel. Yeah, it makes it makes no sense to run cost. You're just limiting your volume. You know what I mean? And so that's yeah. And there's huge agencies that like preach that method that they do. And it yeah, it's kind of like you're yeah. And it's kind of like what you're saying back before. I guess some agencies just get with businesses that already have are going to be successful anyway. And then, but it's kind of like they're teaching people things that ultimately hurt everybody in the, in the, at, at the end of the day. You know what I mean? So yeah, just that shift in thinking from how spending more on like a top of funnel channel, like Facebook affects the omni channel. Yeah. Like when I fully understood that I've never even thought about running like cost caps or, or bid caps or anything like that. It's like a huge shift. Yeah, you'll never do it again. Cause it's like, and I've heard the argument from folks and I know some of these folks and they're, 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 you know, objectively decent people. I'm not saying that they're like inherently evil individuals, right? Like, and I'm trying to get better at making people aware that like, I'm not like anti these people as like individual. I just think that the idea of, I wanna be as profitable as possible with the money I spend, where my lever is, if I'm not profitable, I won't spend because my front end of my business won't look as good. What that also means is, well, now I have no, the volume of people going through my funnel is wildly fluctuating. The quality of people that come through my funnel are wildly fluctuating. And then on an operational level, how are you gonna handle cash flow needs? How are you gonna handle inventory needs? The folks in the warehouse have no idea what to pack and pick or pick and pack 
because every single day is different. So you're raising operational costs to maintain front end profitability on the least efficient marketing channel you have. It's just the wrong lever to solve the wrong problem, but it's presented as the best solution by companies whose service is generally described as, give me a dollar and I'll give you two. And what they're really saying is, give me a dollar and I'll show you how I can take credit for two. And that's a very, very subtle, but massive difference in what's gonna happen. Because I'd rather say, give me a dollar, I'll make it so tomorrow you can give me two. I don't, like, that's the much bigger thing. And that's where I think there's a fundamental ethos shift between folks who have to show performance in a short period of time where they lose the business. So their objective, their, the folks that have to show performance over a short period of time or they lose the business are ultimately motivated to look as good as possible in a way that generally comes at the detriment of the success of the business as a whole. And there are enough people out there for them to run that business with that they'll never be out. And most of them that I know that are really successful work with companies that are large enough in scale that the success or failure of that business has very little to do with the success or failure of the agency. And I will say it like this, I'll call myself out. One year, many, many moons ago, I made about $17 million of mistakes for Activision. Call of Duty was still the number one game that year. That said everything I needed to, that, that told me everything I needed to know. Like. There's a very different thing from performance model promotions and front end metrics versus operational and institutional stability and success and expertise. Somebody that's terrible at the front end can go unnoticed if the operational expertise is very strong. And I got called out in a YouTube, I called somebody out in a YouTube video maybe two months ago where I said, maybe the reason this business is successful isn't because of the guy that runs the agency who hasn't shown up on a call in two years. It might be because somebody that made their career for decades on Wall Street got into business with an international celebrity selling the tools of that person's trade to everyone. Maybe it's a phenomenal operator got in with somebody with potentially hundreds of millions of people in potential customers as a total addressable market and reach and sold the thing that that person uses every single day. Like that's such a great business. And that caused a lot of heartache from the person that I called out. Although the owner of that company messaged me is like, what is the problem? And I was like, oh, this guy got real upset about it. He's like, that guy just likes to cause trouble. Like he's just like the point of it. The owner of the company was completely on board with me. And we're going to ultimately make a deal where I'm buying a new place in, in Manhattan and I may or may not need uh, this product in my apartment. And it's going to outfit my needs if I like train his kid on how to do some media buying. And I was like, dude, trade. We're friends. We're not going to exchange money. Let's just do some time for each other. You, this is a blip on your cogs radar. This is a couple hours of my time. Let me help it out. And I was like, look, I'm going to make your kid better than everybody you pay to do this. And it'll take a couple of months and you can fire the rest of them. And he's like, that sounds great. Let's do it. And it's, it'll be exciting. It'll be exciting. Put my money where my mouth is. Otherwise I'm gonna have to pay him for these pots and pans or whatever. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I think, I think really what it comes down to is like being a good media buyer comes down to being a good business executive.
and like stop talking about like cost per click and CTR and stuff and more so like PL management and like budgeting and forecasting and like looking at marketing and investing. I think it's like if I just summarize like how your thinking is, I think it's more so really what it is. And that's yeah. the CMO development of the MBA program. That's kind of why I said that because it's a huge shift. Most of the stuff in there isn't even like, oh, here's how you set up this specific campaign or whatnot. <laughs> yeah, yeah like maybe 15, 20% of it is actually what you do in Facebook, which yeah, which I love. How and, and yeah, so your so, point. Yeah. yeah, keep going. Sorry. I was going to say, we are, I mean, I don't have a hard stop. I, I don't want to take more of your time than the hour unless you have a specific reason to stop. I was going to say uh, just a rapid fire question or two. And then we can Let's do it. Definitely share whatever you want to share. I, I don't have anywhere uh, I have to go. But how much does all of this apply beyond Facebook? Is this just like Facebook is this unique place that has all this data that allows? So I think... I'll segment my question quickly. Everything about, I think no matter what agency you're in, even if you're not a media buyer, even if you're just an SEO company, if you're just a, a freelance copywriter, if you're a software engineer, it doesn't matter what your B2B service is. You're always going to benefit from demonstrating to the business that you're thinking like an executive in that business rather than like being narrowly focused on the service that you provide. Because you could make a parallel story for like doing all sorts of wonky stuff to boost your search rankings, but then your you know site experience is terrible, doing all the stuff to boost email opt-ins, but then no one's buying the product because you just pushed into they're just ready to buy like every business if you're trying to short-term optimize to make yourself look good and you're not thinking like the executive i'm saying specifically with ad strategy you can just set and forget let the algorithm do the heavy lifting is that kind of the case everyone's caught up or it's still facebook is like the only place where that's like everywhere else you still have to be your more traditional cpc cost cap bid adjustment or it's just facebook like what's like the brief synopsis on that everybody's trying to copy facebook and facebook has more data than anyone i don't think i think we are years away from other platforms being as good at this job as facebook is and it's unfair facebook has more data than google and amazon put together when it comes to people's profiles also intended. it's unfair in that facebook is is driving the ship so if you change your Facebook ads, what happens on search also changes. Uh, because you are set it, it, first impressions mean a lot. So no matter how good you are at overcoming first impressions and changing the way people think about you, Facebook is still going to be where people generally see you first if you're running Facebook ads. Unless you are just hacking your total addressable market with like Amazon or with Google, and that's fine, but you're never going to be able to create your own total addressable market in a way that Facebook can. I think the closest we'll see is YouTube. I think people want TikTok to do it, but they're so starved in the amount of data and market saturation that it might work for a couple of things, but also the platform isn't designed to operate in that way. It's far more transactional. I mean, they are openly saying they're trying to steer more into search, which makes sense. It makes it more profitable, but it also means they're less top of funnel in the way they function. I've tried these strategies on other platforms. Nothing, I don't think they work the same way. And I think that that's okay. To be fair, like, I don't want Google to be nearly as meritocratical. I would love to be able to create intent in a way that's effectively a math formula and then just go to Google and say, these are the words that I need in order to get somebody to convert and I can bid and copyright my way to crushing and then I've got an email flow that will will do that job. The way I look at it is search, email, television, print, billboards, Facebook. These are 
advertising mediums that have effectively reached a level of maturity where what they do, their unfair advantage is basically untouchable and nothing else will be able to do exactly what they do exactly the way that they do it. And I think people that excel in whatever those disciplines are, are going to be able to massively take advantage of those opportunities. And I don't think there are very many companies in the world that excel in more than two or three of those platforms. It's just so difficult. And generally, because people buy into the brand voice and brand equity and how a brand operate, it becomes very difficult to make those things work. Like you're used to seeing Tide ads on television and you see the coupons in the newspaper. And I knew because I brought Persil laundry detergent to the United States with, when I was, one of my clients was Henkel at the time. And so I was managing all their North, North American stuff. Tide has, I think at the time they had like a seven figure daily budget allowable so that you couldn't buy the word laundry. It's the same way on search. And it's the same way as in retail, they own eye level wall to wall for the entire shelf in any store. You cannot walk into a store and not see that orange at basically five and a half feet. Any store they sell, that's basically what they bought. But it would also be really weird if you went in and saw like Tide static ads on Facebook. You'd be like, what, what is this? Like, it's just, it feels non-native. It's not the way the brand is. So my point to that being, I don't think these tactics don't work on other platforms as well as they do for television or for Facebook. But you have to think of Facebook basically as, what people had hoped television could have been and the saturation and ability to create intent. I think that's the closest analogy is that it's super TV and I don't think anything will ever be able to overtake it. People have been preaching the end of email marketing for 20 some odd years. It's still there. Like you have an email address, you search things online, you have a Facebook account or Instagram or WhatsApp or you use Messenger or you don't. And you might be one of the people that don't, but it's so heavily ingrained that nothing else can take over. And in order for other platforms to have an opportunity, they need to leverage the user experience in a different way, which means that the tactic for that platform to operate most effectively needs to also be different. Basically, somebody's already invented the power drill. You know, you can't get better than the power drill for the power drill. But that's not to say you can't build any other set of tools to solve any other set of problems. So that's kind of the way I think about it. So yeah, I don't think anything's coming for coming for King Kong anytime soon. I just don't see it possible until people move on. It's just not going to be gone. And even at that point, if it becomes just radio and TV, those are massive, massive market. So I don't know. That's my opinion. Charlie, real quick with the guy whose kid you're training, what is, I guess, where I'm curious on like how you're going to structure him from like i don't know how old he is if he has experience but like i'm curious on your thought process of like how you're going to like train him and walk him through on like learning from like complete beginner to getting up to like expert level. yeah so the kid high school grad i think he's working for nick sharma right now and the way that i teach anybody how it works is the same flow in the facebook ads mba program if i want to teach somebody to be really good at marketing i'm going to put them through a simple nine-step process number one I'm gonna teach him how to understand the impact of the dollars being spent on the bank account. We have to understand the unit economics. Take stock of your inventory or you cannot make any other decisions. Second, we're gonna talk about how to optimize your investment portfolio. These things make more money than these things. Invest more money where you're making more money. Invest less money where you make less money. Once you figure those things out, 
we get through how to do creative testing properly. And with Facebook, we talk about branded estimated action rate or go the golden bear process in the MBA program. From there, while that's going on, we start to clean up nomenclature and documentation so they're able to understand all of the moves so that also people don't need your brain to understand what you're doing because they can look at the documentation, you're immediately replaceable, which is essential for scale. Then we move into how do we do this creative testing to improve that portfolio of investments? How do we take the winners and then begin to take action on them? At that point, we get into larger testing methodologies of how do we start to move more important needles than just the front end? And then we get into how do we project manage what we're doing along with everybody else and take that out in a week, a month, six months from now. So that ultimately we can finish with, here's a 90 day plan. And I know in two weeks it's gonna look different, but now everybody has full transparency on everything. I'm completely replaceable and we're investing our money where it gets us the best return and we're getting compounding results in the right direction. I don't think if you don't understand those things, you cannot be an effective buyer in a way where you're a net positive to your, to your clients or to your business. And the reason I say that is I get into so many conversations with folks that insist hook rates matter or that ROAS matters or that anything else. And the way they do creative testing is to see the results. And my number one response to them is this ad got spent. What happened to the bottom line for your business because of it? And if they can't give you an answer in 30 seconds, they have no idea what their job is worth or the impact that their work has on the business. And if I'm trusting you to spend my money for me to run ads and amplify my business, and you cannot very clearly tell me what happens because money got spent in one place or another, then what you're telling me is I have no idea what I'm doing with your money. For me, I would never trust somebody with my money that has no idea what they're doing with it. So that's the process. And the Facebook Ads MBA program teaches you that everything you need to know. I don't know if you'll go through the whole MBA, but at least we're gonna get some started on like the Scrum Doc, Ecosystem ROAS, Dynamic Creative, Scientific Method, you know, the one campaign structure, and just get it to the point where they're gonna be able to say, oh, my friend says we should use cost caps, and be like, no, I wanna make money. My friend says we should use Shopify Plus audiences. No, thank you, I'd like to make money. My friend says we need to test 10 new creatives a week. You can say, no, thank you. I don't want to work harder to make less money. At the end of the day, yes, that's a very zero sum game around the money, but let's be fair. You're getting paid to create revenue. That is the current revenue is legitimately the currency of the relationship. If you give me all the money in the world and I can't give you a return and tell you what I'm doing with it, it doesn't matter how nice I am. You're going to pay somebody else to do it. And, and that's, that's really the ground up of like what that looks like. Nothing else really matters. Charlie, you've got a ton of content on the internet. You're omni-channel yourself. I think this is extremely valuable things that you're teaching and you've got everyone's best interest in mind, which is awesome. Like you said, you're just trying to make the world a better place. Where yeah. are you easiest to find, putting out your best stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm on every channel multiple times every single day. If I'm on, if you have a channel and you don't find me on it, let me know. I'll make sure to start posting there too. I know that there are people with better production value I know that there are people with higher, you know, brand equity or a bigger name. What I know that I can do is talk about things in a way that makes a much bigger difference. I can do it in a way where it makes meaningful change in people's lives. And I can do it at a higher volume than anybody else. So I'm leaning into being everywhere all the time, all at once with everything. 
and you can find the ways that are best fit for you. Again, if you're on a social media channel and I'm not there, please let me know and I will make sure that I'm there multiple times every single day with every bit of information that you should have. There you go. Charlie, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a blast. Thank you so much, man. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. We can clearly have gone on for hours, but um, I really appreciate it.